0: of fellowship and worship with each of you this morning. We welcome our guests, especially today, and want you to know that you're very important to us, and we're glad that you're here. Uh, let me remind everyone to uh, uh, fill out our attendance sheets, if you wouldn't mind, so we can have a record of your attendance uh, this morning. Also, go ahead and take your phone and check in on social media. Let, us, uh, let everybody know that you're here today. And uh, a few announcements I'd like to call to your attention. First of all, I want to thank our men's class for a great breakfast this morning. Uh, Wonderful job, guys. We really appreciate it. It was very, very good. So Thank you. Uh, We have a blood drive that's coming up uh, in about a week and a half on February the 19th. And so if you would like to volunteer or if you would like to make an appointment to, uh, uh, to, to to donate blood, then see Jika and she will sign you up. Uh, Also, Ash Wednesday is coming up on February the 26th. That would be the the following week after that. And we will be hosting uh, our Ash Wednesday service here at Community Baptist Church along with uh, First Christian Church. Uh, We collaborate on some services through the the year. And this is the one that we will be uh, hosting here at Community Baptist Church. And that will be at 6 o'clock on Ash Wednesday. So we will not be having dinner that night. And, uh, and changing our schedule around a little bit. And also, uh, speaking of our Wednesday programs, on, uh, this week we will be finishing the book Holy Envy. So go ahead and read it through the end of the, end of the book there. And we'll fin- finish the book this week. And then next week uh, we'll have a special guest. His name is Hussein Abu Dikr, uh, who is a, an employee at the hospital. He's a Muslim and he's going to come and uh, talk about his religion and ant, uh, answer any questions that we may have about him. So we, we look forward to that as well. Put that on your calendar. Hope you can come there. Um, we are, are reminded in our scriptures time after time after time again to love our neighbor. And so let me invite you to do just that now as we stand and as we share the love of Christ. I know it's flu season, so if you don't feel like uh, shaking hands, bump elbows.
1: (laughs) (laughs) she said, We'll say we Anyway, she said, She's <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll, uh, <laughs> uh, okay, You me Maybe I'll stand back there. He yeah, yeah, the I need about a I need a a I need Ah, yeah. uh, got turn.
0: In our responsive reading, printed in your bulletin and on the screen. We are called to bring a new understanding of God. That God so loves the world.
1: We are the salt of the earth.
0: We are called to bring a new hope in God. That God gives us new life.
1: We are the light of the
0: world. We are called to follow the commandments and the law.
1: The law of God is to love God and to love
0: one another. Come, let us be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Come, let us love one another with the love of God. Let us join together in our love of
2: God to worship and follow Jesus. Amen. front for our children's moment,
1: please.
3: Good. Here's my question for y'all. Do y'all have rules at your house or at school? You do? (laughs) What are some of the rules that you have? Yes, sir, Mr. Davis. You have to clean up your rooms when you make a mess. That's a rule at my house, too. And I'm the only one that lives there. (laughs) Everett, what's a rule at your house or at school? school, um, We have to be quiet and let other people have a (laughs) teaching. Yes, Miss. Miss Dayton. (laughs) (laughs) Miss
1: Dayton,
3: that's awesome. You have the golden rule at your school. That's that's pretty awesome. Yes, Miss Owen. You can't run through the hallways. I know. I can't run through the hallways of the hospital either. <laughs> <laughs> they they don't think that's a good idea. Yeah, in my house, I have to do things like turn the lights out when I'm done in the room. Do you have that same rule at your house? At work? Yes, Mr. Davis? Um, Mr. Staten? That's another one. Yes, after you eat, you have to bring your dishes to the sink. In my house, I have to put them in the dishwasher. That's a rule at my house. (laughs) Those are all really good rules. Now the adults have laws we have to obey. Do you know any of those laws that we have to obey? Yes, Marley. Uh, no, texting while driving. no texting while driving. That's an awesome one. Yes, sir. What do we do when the light turns red at an intersection? Everett. Stop. stop. We have to stop. What if there's a a red octagonal sign, what do we have to do? What do we just shout it out? Stop. Stop. And can we just go any speed we want to in the car? No, we can't speed. speed We have to obey the speed limit. Now, can I come into your room and just take anything I want? That's stealing. So there are some laws that we have. Um, that that tell us how to behave. Now, I'm always curious. I wonder why we have all these rules and these laws. Do you know why? Why, Marley? For protection. For protection. Yes, they keep us safe, don't they? Just think what kind of world it would be if we all just ran through intersections. We'd be banging into each other and flying down the hallway and... I know it, it'd just be, it'd be awful. Um, what about at home? If you just did anything you wanted to. So the rules and the laws are to keep us safe. What else are the rules and the, what else are the laws? Maybe God's laws, because God have laws for us. Can you think of one set of laws in particular that God gave to us? What? And be nice to other people. Some of those are called the Ten Commandments. You remember that? Ten Commandments. Those are the laws that God gave us. God gave us those laws because God want us, wants us to understand how much God loves us. And God gave us those laws so we could live together a little easier. Because it would be hard if I just decided to come into your house and take anything I wanted. That's stealing. That's one of the Ten Commandments we can't do. Um, I can't just go out and tell everybody that that you stole something out of my house when you didn't. That's lying. That's another one of the Ten Commandments. Can't just lie. God gave us those laws so that we could live together easier. The Golden Rule, like Marley was telling us. So God loved us enough to give us those laws. So that we can live together easier. Um, God must love us a bunch, huh? And when we obey those laws, what does that say to, what does that say about us? Does it say we love each other a little bit more? Yeah. When I can obey the laws that's going to keep you safe and so we can live together a little easier. What's Friday? What's Friday? Shout it out! French Friday! I love French Friday! <laughs> Thank you, sir.
1: What's Friday?
3: Valentine's Day. Not only do you get French fries, you get chocolate all day. Friday is Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is a day that we celebrate loving each other. And we can celebrate loving our families. We can celebrate loving our friends. We can celebrate loving our teachers and our coaches and our coworkers and our church friends. And we can celebrate loving every single body on the planet. So God gave us laws so that we can show respect for each other. God gave us laws because God loves us. Yes, Mr. Everett?
1: That's,
3: that's oftentimes true. God loves us, and on Friday, we're going to celebrate that love. Hot diggity dog. Um, hot diggity dog. So we're going to start today celebrating Valentine's Day. So y'all get to come up here and pick up things. I got, I got different flavors. Y'all come on. What flavor do you want? I've got. You just are awesome here. There's.
1: If you would rather have one of it. which one of these do you want? There's one that's got kisses in there. If you'd rather have kisses. <laughs> there's.
3: Let's see. Reese's peanut butter cup.
1: I almost had to change my prayer to make sure you we were going to take care of French Fry Friday, <laughs> but uh, please bow with me. Dear Lord, as we gather here to give thanks for all that you bring into our lives each and every day, we, wish to want, we want you to wrap your arms around those who are in need of that extra care today for themselves and their families. Now bless these tithes and offerings for the good work that they do in your name. Amen. Amen.
4: Our Scripture this morning is Matthew 5:13 through 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. Whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven for I tell you unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees you will never enter the kingdom of heaven this is the word of the lord
2: Our message and song this morning is in the hymn out of your hymnal and I invite you to join us if you'd like to sing along or just follow along you'll find it on page 609 609, 609. And the reason the, the title of this is wonderful grace of Jesus and we've been holding on to this since October 27th which I have the bullet the bulletin from October 27th right here And on that day, um, our fabulous piano player, she played Wonderful Grace of Jesus as the offertory. And the pastor made the comment about that was a wonderful old hymn that usually you start out well, but then you get lost. (laughs) I'm a very competitive person, and I took that as a challenge. (laughs) I took that as a personal challenge So we're going to sing it this morning, and we will not get lost. We invite you to follow along or sing along with us um, and to let you know the little changes we're making so you don't get lost. We're going to start with the chorus. Then we'll sing the first verse and the chorus and the third verse and the chorus. And right after each chorus, Jika will play a short interlude before we come back with the verse. So wonderful grace of Jesus. We invite you to sing along and not get lost.
1: Gracias.
0: Wait just a minute! I got to catch my breath here. <laughs> uh, I love it when I throw the, gaunt, the gauntlet and it's picked up and the challenge is met.
1: <laughs>
0: By the way, the little interview help interlude helped them. <laughs> okay, how many of you would consider yourselves to be law-abiding citizens? Uh, Keith, I know that you're retired, but are you taking names of those who don't raise their names? <laughs> your, your wife? <laughs> okay. Most of us generally take it for granted that, that most of the laws in our society are, are good laws. They're reasonable laws, and, and we're generally thankful for them. I mean, laws are important. Laws keep us safe, like what Mary was saying just a moment ago. Laws keep us safe, and they give us some structure for an orderly society. But every once in a while, we come across a law that has unintended consequences. For example, most states have laws that are designed to protect the general public from people who have previously committed a crime. And one way they do this is by limiting the types of of jobs that former criminals Can have or allowed to have. One example that I I saw was that the state of Ohio has over 500 laws to ensure that former criminals can't do things like vote, or work at a racetrack, or cut hair, or sit on a jury, or uh, provide hospice care, or deal in livestock or real estate, or even obtain a license to repair air conditioners the American Bar Association did a study to see how just how many laws like these are on the books related to keeping former criminals out of certain jobs. And they discovered that there are over 46,000 laws across the United States that limit the activities of former criminals. And on the surface, you can you can kind of understand the motivation behind enacting these laws. However... The unintended consequence of many of these laws is a higher unemployment rate for former criminals. Which, guess what? A higher unemployment rate results in a higher crime rate. Now, obviously, that's not what the lawmakers had in mind, but that's what happens sometimes. It's called the law of unintended consequences. Sometimes things that seem like a good idea at the time ends up not being so good in the long run. Down south, where I came from, we are familiar with a great idea that had terrible unintended consequences, and it's called kudzu. You see that picture there? Kudzu, it's it's a vine that was imported from Japan in the late 1800s, And it was originally used uh, in this country to feed animals and also to prevent erosion, which it does a good job at. Uh, But in that environment, kudzu grows really fast, about 18 inches a day. And yes, that is a picture of a house covered with kudzu. All you have to do is cut off a couple of inches of kudzu, throw it on the ground and spit on it and stand back. You don't want to leave your windows open at night. For fear that the kudzu might come in and take over everything. I heard about a guy who bought a junkyard in Georgia, and when he got in there and started cutting the kudzu back, he discovered he had a hundred cars he didn't know he had. And it's very hard to kill. So if you drive through Georgia or Alabama, Tennessee, Mississippi, South Carolina, you'll probably see a lot of kudzu covering the trees and creeping up the sides of houses and power lines and covering street signs It chokes out other plants. It costs the power companies literally millions of dollars a year to keep it cleared off the power lines. So kudzu seemed like a good idea when it was first imported to the United States. But nobody guessed how destructive it could be once it took root. Unintended consequences. Well, our scripture for today comes from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has already been preaching and teaching and healing the sick. And so wherever he went, he was drawing a big crowd of folks who either were curious or maybe they wanted something from him. And and so on this day, Jesus sat down. There was a crowd of folks around him, and he started to teach the crowd about the kingdom of God. Now, imagine if a new preacher came to town and started performing miracles and preaching things that were way different from all of the churches in town, what most of the churches were preaching about If that happened, I imagine that uh, some of the people in the ministerial association may start talking about that other preacher out there and might even send somebody out to find out what's going on. And that's kind of what happened when Jesus came to town. You see, in Jesus' day, the religious leadership was composed of four different groups, each with its own interpretation of the Torah. These were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the Essenes, and the Zealots. The Pharisees were very strict adherents to following their traditions and laws, and so they were looking to the past for their standards and beliefs. The more liberal Sadducees claimed that the, the old laws and traditions needed to be reinterpreted for modern times. The Essenes believed that they needed to separate themselves off from the temptations of the world. And so they moved out into the wilderness and lived a monastic life like, like a, a, monk, a, a group of monks. And, and uh, they were the ones who were responsible for our Dead Sea Scrolls. And then finally there were the zealots who believed that their faith called for them to rebel against any power that threatened the Jews. And so they advocated for political revolution. So the Pharisees were saying, go back. The Sadducees were saying, go forward. The Essenes were saying, go out. And the Zealots were saying, go against. And most of the average people in the streets were just saying, go away. (laughs) I'm sure they got tired of all of these religious leaders telling them, you got to do this or you got to do that in order to know God. And I'm also sure that each of these groups... Wanted Jesus to support their side. It would have been a real coup to claim this young upstart as one of their own. But Jesus had other things in mind. It reminds me of an old story that some of you may have heard before about a country preacher who had a teenage son who was trying to decide what he wanted to do when he, uh, with his life when he graduated from school and So one day when the boy was off at school, his father decided to try a little experiment. He went into the boy's room and he placed three items on his desk. One was a Bible, one was a silver dollar, and the other one was a bottle of whiskey. Now then, the preacher said, I'll just hide behind his door and when he comes home after school, I'll watch. And I'll see which of these items he picks up. If he picks up the Bible, he's going to be a preacher like me. If he picks up the dollar, he's he's going to be a businessman. But if he picks up the whiskey, he's going to be a drunkard. A no-good drunkard, and Lord, what a shame that'll be. Well, when his son came home, the preacher hid behind the door, and he watched as his son came into the room, and the young man stood there. He spotted the objects on his desk, and he studied them for a moment. And then the moment of truth arrived. The young man picked up the Bible and placed it under his arm, and he picked up the silver dollar and put it in his pocket. He uncorked the bottle and, and, and uh, took a big gulp of whiskey, and the old preacher whispered to himself, Lord have mercy, he's going to be a politician.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: no offense to present company. <laughs> Crowds of people surrounding Jesus that day, they were waiting to see if Jesus would be a politician, to see if he was going to shape his message to please his listeners. Would he please the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, or the Essenes? Well, my guess is that he shocked them all. Listen to his words in Matthew 5. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter will disappear from the the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. And what's going on here? I mean, on some occasions, Jesus seems like a wild-eyed radical welcoming prostitutes and tax collectors and all kinds of riffraff into the kingdom of heaven and saying things like, you have heard what our forefathers said, but I tell you this. But here, he sounds like the most dyed-in-the-wool traditionalist ever, saying that you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you are more righteous than the Pharisees. Well, who can be more righteous than the Pharisees? That's impossible. Righteous living was their specialty. And now you're saying that we have to be more righteous than they are before we can enter the kingdom of heaven? We might as well give up now. And I believe that that is exactly what Jesus wanted them to feel. Whether they were Pharisees, or Sadducees, or Essenes, or Zealots, or just ordinary folks like us, I believe that Jesus wanted them to rethink the role of the law in their lives. So what is the law all about? Well, the law was given in order to bring us into our relationship with God. The law was not created in and of itself or for itself. It was created to keep God's people in a safe, harmonious relationship with God and with each other. The law was an expression of God's protective love for us. But after a while, people started ignoring the relationship that God wanted. And they became fixated with the law, the law itself. Let me give you an analogy. There's a shopkeeper in London um, that I read about recently. His name is Sohan Xing, or Singh. And this shopkeeper has banned all customers from his grocery store. He says that he was forced to do this because his customers had such bad manners. First he banned smoking, and then he banned cursing, and then he banned uh, uh, baby strollers, and then pets, and finally he banned customers altogether. And now shoppers have to look through the window to spot the items that they want and ring a bell and be served through a hatch in the door. I've lost business, Singh says, but I am a man of principles and I stand by my decision. And I can sympathize with some of Mr. Singh's principles. But you know what? Stores were created to serve customers. Right? Mr. Singh would rather have an empty store that is orderly than a thriving store that's messy. I'll be interested to, to see how long he's in business. Well, the religious leaders that Jesus clashed with had replaced a loving relationship with God With a set of rules. They were obsessed with a rigid obedience to the law rather than a loving relationship with God. The very first law given by God was all the way back in Genesis 2. In the Garden of Eden... God created a, a beautiful, orderly, fruitful world for Adam and Eve to enjoy. And in Genesis 2.15, we read that God had one rule, one law to protect Adam and Eve in this perfect world. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will die. All right, let me ask you something. When God told Adam and Eve that there was a tree in the garden that was poisonous and that if they ate from it, they would die, was God threatening them or was God warning them of what would happen if they ate from it? I believe God was warning them. Adam and Eve were created to live in a a close, fruitful relationship with God and with each other. And they were created to live in freedom so long as they lived under the protection of God's one law. But Adam and Eve did not trust God enough to honor that relationship. And by disobeying that one law, their relationship was tarnished. Later on, God gave the law to Moses as a way to govern the relationship with God and and with each other. And God's law was always, always, always rooted in love. The very first of the Ten Commandments says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You see, the law establishes a relationship with God and serves as a reminder to us that God loves us. This is the God who set us free from slavery. Don't spend your lives chasing after false gods. What have they done for you? I'm your God. I'm the one who set you free. I'm the one who loves you. You see, the law has given, was given to, to bring us into a relationship with God. And that's the first thing that we need to see. On the flip side of that, our our relationship with God also helps us to understand the purpose of the law. So it's kind of both ways. God's law has always been rooted in love. A woman was married to an abusive husband. And after they were married, he gave her a list of all of the things that he expected her to do. And as you can imagine... She grew to hate that list, and she hated the man who gave it to her. Well, after a while, her husband died, and she remarried another man who was kind to her and loving. And this husband didn't have a list. He loved her unconditionally. And, and while going through some old boxes one day, she found her first husband's list. And she realized that she was now doing all of those things on the list, but they were not a chore to her because they were done out of love and not out of compulsion. The religious leaders of Jesus' day had turned the law into an act of compulsion instead of a reflection of God's love. They removed the joy of living in a loving relationship with God and and had turned it into a list of rules. Jesus tells us that the law was given to bring us into a relationship with God. And conversely, that relationship with God helps us to understand the purpose of the law. And that brings us to the last thing to be said today. And that is that Jesus fulfilled the law by giving us His righteousness so that we could enter His kingdom. That's the meaning of grace. That's what Jesus meant when He told us that He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He fulfilled the law in His life by living in a perfect relationship with God. And He fulfilled the law in His death when He took on the penalty of the law, death itself, and bestowed upon us His righteous righteous relationship with God so that we could have eternal life. So, to all of those who think that they will never be good enough to earn their way into the kingdom of heaven, you're right. Give it up. You failed before you even started. But that's the good news. You see, we could never be good enough to fulfill all of the requirements of the law. But Jesus was good enough. And like a lamb led to the slaughter, he took the penalty for us and gave us his goodness, his righteousness in its place. So, do you want to stand before a holy God one day and claim that you're good enough to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Good luck with that. Or do you want the perfect son of God to stand in your place and open the gates of the kingdom for you? I don't think I can cut it with the former. I'll take the latter. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Amen. Amen. Mm. (coughs) Let's sing this wonderful closing hymn that says it all. Jesus paid it all and it is only because Jesus paid it all that we can enter into the kingdom of heaven To the nations. Honor the Lord. Proclaim what you know of the risen Christ and fulfill all righteousness. And may God strengthen you and bless you with peace. May Christ bring forth justice for you and among you. And may the Holy Spirit light upon you and affirm you as God's beloved child. We go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. In the name of Christ, our brother, we pray. Amen. Amen.